Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is May 5th, 2021. This is episode 316. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll make you say no, 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 no. Scott, no. We'll also go around the bases and head back to school. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking this evening? Scott, I am drinking a beer from the Maryland Beer Company. Uh, this is a double IPA. Uh, it's called Double Trouble, and I haven't had it yet. So let's let's do a live live review here. Let's see how this goes. Um, brewery based out of Elkton uh, does a few microbreweries. I'm seeing kind of a puckered nose here. Um, I'm going to give it some time to grow on me, but air out a little bit. Yeah. So so far, I, I would call this a a C plus. C plus. Okay. So not one that you might be going back for, as it were. I bought one instead of the four-pack, and I'm patting myself on the back for my ingenuity. Wow. Jake English finally made a good choice with beer. Congratulations. Scotty, what are you drinking this evening? Jake, I broke out the finest. I'm drinking some 18-year-old Johnny Walker uh, scotch. Um, just kind of celebrating and living up life this evening. Scott, Johnny, what, 18 years? You mean business. I feel like a Yankees fan right now drinking oh, it. Christmas. <laughs> Yikes. If you're interested to hear what we are drinking on a weekly basis, or, you know, once every 69 years, come find us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And you can find me after a whistle at MAGN8606. And with that, let's head on over to the medical wing. All right, so not much going on at the major league level. You know, the folks that have been injured are still injured. Freddie Galvis, you know, recovered from the full moon effect of his wearable syndromes last week and uh, miraculously got back into the lineup. Um, but, you know, I thought with the minor league baseball season kicking off, it might be a good opportunity for us to take a look at, you know, some storylines that are going on with some players that we've heard about before. We've talked about before in the podcast and just... You know, taking a look at some individuals that may not be starting out at AA Bowie and or AAA Norfolk. And, you know, obviously the first one has to be Heston Kerstad, um, you know, still getting over myocarditis, uh, myocarditis uh, from last season. You know, this was to be expected that they were going to take it easy with him. Um, you know, he hasn't had baseball activity in well over a year. Um, just to insert him back into games would have been foolish for the Orioles. So he's taking it easy down in Florida, do some, doing some extended spring training. 
nothing to worry about here, in my opinion, Orioles fans. That's good to hear. And obviously, it's nice to see the organization is, you know, doing the right thing and, and, you know, taking the player's health and career in mind over, you know, any kind of short-term gains. They obviously look at this as playing the long game and good for them. Yeah, I think the more concerning news that came out uh, this week was that uh, Michael Ballman uh, is experiencing some arm discomfort. It's not going to break with any of the spring training, any of the minor league teams, um, and is again being held down. Um, we'll get to another team in the next few weeks, hopefully. But he's experiencing some arm discomfort, and you know, as, as an individual that is, you know, the eighth ranked prospect in the organization, it's a little concerning, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not fun to hear. I will say that this is, you know, the difference between good farm systems and not is whether they can weather delays or losses of, you know, one or more of their um, prospects without falling apart. You know, and obviously the Orioles, for the longest of time, have been, you know, just razor, razor thin margins as far as, you know, the difference between success and failure. Um, so hopefully everything works out for them and, and there's no, you know, reason for concern but if something were to happen um you know hopefully this is a a system that is stocked well enough to overcome that loss absolutely um you know i i think you are right on that basis that there is a a plethora of talent you you know that's being recorded right yeah of course you shouldn't say that out loud we we have plenty of talent that you know we're never going to come back and say man i wish we had one more pitcher in the organization that we could pull from Never, ever, never going to be necessary. You mean, you mean nightly? Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, but that's about it going on in the medical wing. That is, I think, a big news at this given moment. Um, why don't we go to 280 characters list this week on the Twitters? Jake, why don't you start us off? Our first tweet for this week is going to come to us from The Verge, an Orioles minor league baseball podcast. You can find them at BSL on The Verge, and you should absolutely check out that podcast. The tweet is as follows. Adley Rutschman's first hit of the season is an RBI single with, of course, a little clip of the Bowie Baysock hitting his first uh, his first hit. Uh, I love this. I love this, but it also, it's starting to feel a little Matt Wieters-ish, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the prophecy is being fulfilled every step along the way. His first hit was an RBI. Of course it was. And then after the game, he rescued a bus full of children from falling off a bridge and then, you know, helped out at his local homeless shelter. This is just par for the course for Adley Rutschman. Didn't Chris Davis like save someone after a yes. car crash? Yes. And look how that turned out. So we don't want Orioles players saving people in car crashes. If you get in a car crash... You're just going to have to die, okay? And oh, <laughs> Bird's eye view gets dark. <laughs> uh, no, I'm okay. I'll wait for the paramedics. Yeah, no. You stay away. Yeah. It's, Think of your career, Adley. Adley, just keep driving. Keep driving. I'll wait for the police. Keep driving. <laughs> uh, next tweet comes from, but wait, there's more. Uh, Nathan Ruiz tweets at Nathan S. Ruiz. Both of the hashtag Orioles top two t- pitching prospects started tonight. Grace Rodriguez and Hyde A, four innings pitched, zero runs, one hit, Two walks, five Ks, deal hall double A, four and a third, zero runs, two hits, two walks, ten Ks, uh, combined eight and a third with fifteen Ks, four walks, three hits. That'll do. Yeah, I mean that DL Hall um pitching appearance, you know, they they put some highlights onto Twitter. Um, and it was it was beautiful, is the best way to put it. So um there should be a lot of excitement. And we've been talking about DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez for I'd say a little over a year now. Um, and uh, again, there's been kind of this 
um, this foaming, as it were, in terms of just kind of getting uh, getting a little bit more excited. I think this is the season where um, more of the casual Orioles fan is going to start to hear more of the accolades of a Grayson Argus and D.L. Hall and start to get really excited. Again, maybe not for 2022, but I keep coming back to, you know, 2023, I think, is going to be a potentially interesting year uh, for the Orioles um, with D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, uh, and a bunch of the other kind of nucleus players that we're going to be talking about. Let me just make sure I'm reading this correctly. Yeah. Uh, exciting prospect, uh, prospect Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah. Pitches in high A. Yes. The the Orioles' high A affiliate is a solid 20 to 25 minutes from our houses. I, I mean, I would say 15 to 20 minutes based off the way we drive. <laughs> I, I, I think I think this this really warrants a close look, a, a a close bird's eye view of Grayson Rodriguez at some point this season. Can we get ice cream? Yeah. Okay, good. I just want to make sure. And it, fried Oreos? It has to be in a in a helmet, though. If oh. we get ice cream, it has to be out of a helmet. It's the Peter Schmuck way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next tweet. Um, it comes from the Orioles. Um, good old at Orioles. I, I think most folks are following them. Um, you know, some sad news came out today. Um, the Orioles are starting to learn of the passing of longtime pitching coach, former manager in Oriole Hall, Orioles Hall of Famer Ray Miller. Um, you know, just, um, you know, you think back to those, those great teams during like the mid nineties. Um, and then even him as a manager, I guess it was 97 through 99. Um, and you know, you, you listen to some of the quotes and you look at certain quotes that Messina had during that time point in terms of what Ray Miller meant to him and everything like that too. Um, and it's a sad basis. Um, it also kind of puts in perspective, Jake, we're starting to get really old. You're starting to get really old. No, I mean, you're getting really old. I'm I'm moving in reverse. Oh, okay, gotcha. I have a confession to make. It took me a little while to really appreciate Ray Miller because I think, you know, with him taking over the club and then the club just falling off a mm-hmm. cliff, you know, it was hard at that age to to not really make the association and to, to really value what he had brought to the organization. And so it wasn't until I, you know, kind of looked back, was able to read, talk to some folks that had been through a bit more baseball than i had to really appreciate what ray miller meant to this organization so I, it is a it is a big loss i mean you're right i mean if you just look at his managing uh career of the 97 through 99 it's one of those things that like uh it's the start of the dark ages but um in reality you know there was a, a lot of other things kind of working against sure. him at that point i mean honestly i'm not surprised to hear that you're a little bitter about ray miller i mean he, there was that one time that you got in the field and he didn't come over to you and shake your hand and say hey thanks for all you do so ever since that point, I know you've had a grudge. A big fan of Ray Miller, by the way, Ryan Miner. A- a- absolutely. All right. Well, with that, um, Scott, you, I think we buried the lead well I, enough at I, this point. Right? We buried the lead, and we have you know contained ourselves as much as possible. We've got to talk about you know today's game on Wednesday, um, and, and just get into it. So let's let's talk about John Means, you know, and that no hitter. Scott, I don't want to alarm you, 
But something big and very secret happened today. Did the recounting in Arizona finally take place? (laughs) Scott, there was a secret no-hitter pitched in Major League Baseball today. It was secret? Yeah, of course it was secret. It was secret because no game should take place at 4 p.m. on a Wednesday. And 1 p.m. on the West Coast. Right. I was in work and missed every bit of this game. In fact, I, I called you about something else right as the last pitch was being thrown. And you were like, you're, you're kidding me, right? I literally texted you like three innings before the game ended. Uh, not with uh, not with a Jake, but with a Joseph. That's right. Only my mother calls me Joseph and only when she's angry. So it got my attention. Listen, this was important. And I knew that I had to get your attention in, in just the right fashion so Joseph was what it was called out to be, um, but it just a you know a one of the greatest pitching performances in Orioles franchise history. Um, it was interesting. Yeah, I'm a big uh, advocate for listening to the game on the radio. Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold were calling it today, and it, it was right around the third inning um, that I was li- listening to Jeff Arnold, um, and Jeff was calling the game what I would say differently. Hmm. Um, it was almost like he was talking up um, Means' stuff, more so that I'm used to hearing him talk up mean stuff. Um, and I was just like, that's really weird. Like, maybe it's just the basis of like, hey, Means has been on fire lately. This is an aspect. But you were getting kind of like a John, uh, Jim Hunter vibe for a little bit there? I was getting like a, this is weird vibe. Like, like um, you know, I, I think back to the the Chris Dickerson home run game. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like tingle like of like something's off with this game like i'm gonna keep track of this game and just you know monitor it so like i'm coming home um it's like you said it's a four o'clock game so i'm coming home right around dinner time i'm kind of keeping an eye on mlb at bat we get to around the sixth inning and i'm like all right there's still nothing going on here and i turn to my wife and i say um i'm gonna need to go watch the baseball game and she said why do you need to go watch the baseball game? And I said, I just do. And she said, like, what is the reason for it? And I said, I can't say. And she's like, well, what do you mean you can't say? All along, I'm thinking, she was like, she must think I'm having an affair right now, and I'm looking for some lady in in, in Seattle. At There's this point. precedent here. I can't say it. I, 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 but she doesn't understand that basis from a superstition standpoint. I'm like, I, I just need to watch it. And she's just like, I don't understand what's going on here, but if you need to watch it, by all means, go ahead. So I can tense there, feel the anger is building up. He's like, she won't even talk to me anymore. What is the state of our marriage? Right, so it's a great day in Birdland, terrible day in the Magnus <laughs> Absolutely. Marriage. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. So eventually, like, I'm kind of meandering around, getting the TV set up for the way I like it, and I just kind of flipped the app around to her, and I said, this is why I'm watching the game. And she looks at the score and says, oh, it's 3 nothing." And I'm like, no, that is not the reason I'm watching this game. I'm watching it for this, and I kind of highlight it. And she's like, oh, well, that's a big deal, I guess. And I said, yes, that's a big deal. Like, what are you talking about? So, But yes, I mean, this was a big deal. Um, you know, I, I, I am definitely that one of those superstitious individuals, and I know Rockabaco made fun of everybody for this aspect from the superstition standpoint. But, you know, I, I always kind of go into these games, and once you get past the third inning and I see an Orioles pitcher has gone without any hits, and I'm like – what if tonight's the night? Like, what happens if, like, magic absolutely happens? And then it always, like, flusters and flounders and stuff like that. Um, But, man, I tell you what, um, you know, watching the game, um, watching Means pitch um, those late-inning games, 
I was taken back into that, you know, Ray Miller period of the Mike Mussina days of just how he was pitching, how he was commanding the zone. Even some of the balls that he got called um, today um, were right on the zone. At 100 pitches, he had 70 strikes and 30 balls. Holy crap. 70 strikes and 30 balls. Out of his uh, his first pitches, I think he got to, was it 26 out of 27? I mean, he was an absolute command today. Um, you know, I posted a tweet specifically from uh, Baseball Reference indicating that he had a game score of 99. Uh, I think it was only like uh, 12 or 13 other pitchers in the past 25 years had done it. And again, most of those individuals listed there are Hall of Famers. Um, you know, I, I I can think back to that Mucina game where he had a perfect game and he got it broke up in eight and two thirds. Um, there was another great game that Bedard pitched. Mm-hmm. Th- this probably was one of the greatest games that I have seen an Orioles pitcher pitch uh, is the best way to put it. Now, you know, I've at this point I've watched all the highlights. You know, I've I've watched the condensed uh, version of this game, uh, and I watched all the uh, the post game uh, coverage. It, it's really interesting to me to see the first Orioles no hitter in way too long. Yeah, I mean, and it's the basis of like you and I were obviously alive during that ninety one period um, when they had the four pitchers pitch a pitch a no hitter. Um, it just doesn't have the same gravitas. No, no. is the best that's way to put it. Total asterisk. Um, and, and that's the best way. I mean, it's it's a great almost team performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like a super shutout in, in my opinion. Um, this is a completely different basis where you're watching a pitcher pitch, uh, and absolutely dominating. You know, in me watching the game, I'm watching it. You know, not so much on that basis of the no hitter early on, but I'm looking at his pitch count and how he's pitching, and I'm like, he has a chance for a Maddox, like under hundred pitches zero runs, no question about it. Um, and I'm not really thinking early enough in that process when I was listening to the radio um, with Jeff and, and, and Brett, um, you know, there's a potential here for a no-hitter. Um, but yeah, it was just just remarkable um, pitching and remarkable performance. Um, yeah, just a really, really great game to watch. Um, and, you know, the one thing that I kept thinking when we got into the late innings too was whenever you watch no-hitters, there's always that one like big defensive play and I don't ever remember seeing like a really great defensive play. Um, like there were nice defensive plays, but nothing that was just like, oh wow, yeah, like that saved the game. Me- Means talked about you know Hayes catch and yeah. and Mullins catch. Ha- Hayes and Mullins catch were nice, but you know based off what we've seen Hayes and Mullins do for the entire season, I wouldn't say that I was unexpected that they didn't catch it. Is the best way to put it. <laughs> Let me ask, how does it, how does a no hitter, and again, we have no, no frame of reference as, no as, frame of reference. as you know, fir- first person fans. Jim but, Palmer does, but, right. but not us. How, how does a no hitter feel? How does it hit you um, in what is most likely to be a losing season versus had this happened in 2014 or 2012 or even 2016, right? How, how does, how do we put that in a perspective of, oh my gosh, how fun is baseball? In in a season where maybe we'll have a little less fun than we'd hoped. Yeah, so I mean, you know, watching the game, obviously, I think a lot of po- folks mentioned this on Orioles Twitter when they were watching it, you know, obviously with the stress, the pacing and stuff like that, too. And as soon as the game was over, you know, I just let out a collective, you know, sigh and, you know, somewhat scream of enjoyment. And it was like we were transported back to 2012 and 2016, almost watching playoff games once again. Um, and just being really just so excited. Um, I don't feel like I had the stress of a playoff game. It was more just like a eager anticipation, um, almost like watching a child be born. 
Well, I'm sure my wife would feel the same way. There's no question about it. Um, but uh, it was just, it was, like I said, it was really exciting, really enjoyable. Um, and like I said, it was a euphoria like I had experienced during playoff baseball in the past. Well, I tell you what, it could not have happened to a more likable Oriole. A- absolutely. Like I said, um, you know, we talked about last year, um, you know, starting the season off and John Means was just really bad. And then, you know, September, we ended last season, and I said, it's really encouraging to see John Means end September so well, because it gives me greater faith going into 2021 that he's got it figured out, and he's going to get it kind of turned around. And boy, howdy, he has been absolutely amazing uh, since the beginning of September last year and throughout this entire season. Um, and it's... It's just really, I mean, he mentioned today talking about his dad and saying, hey, my dad was out there. He was telling me what pitches to pitch. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because when he came back with that first game after his dad passed away, he did not pitch very well. And we just talked about like, well, what does this mean for him? What does this mean for his career? What does this mean for his journey? How is he going to rebound from this? Um, And by gosh, I mean, maybe that's the story so far of the 2021 season is a season of rebound. I mean, we're seeing Cedric Mullins rebound this season and just do amazing things. Um, you know, John Means is another great example of maybe not so big of a rebound such as Cedric Mullins, but still coming off a very lackluster situation and also having a lot of family issues um, dealing with it really well. But even like Austin Hayes going onto the injury list and just saying, well, what's what's our role going to be and, and managing to come back from that as well? Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini. I mean, that, and again, that. It's so crazy that that is like almost like forgotten now. Yeah. Um, and you know, Connor Grisario posted this at basis of like Severino and and Means come to the mound. They're hugging each other out, and the first person out to meet them from the dugout is Trey Mancini. Um, that's exactly what you want to see. That's what baseball is all about. It's that it's that romantic piece of baseball that makes you kind of just happy. Is the best way to inside, and you know. Uh, most people don't get it. Um, they're like, oh, it's a boring game and it doesn't really go on. But it's those small, minute details of the whole storytelling piece that really, really makes it so. Um, and, and like I said, it, it was a special day. Yeah, absolutely. And and the only blemish on the day, obviously, is the, uh, you know, quote unquote, wild pitch that uh, resulted in a runner uh, reaching base. I, I, I don't want to be uh, Debbie Downer, but one of the, the things we've talked a little bit about this season uh, on this show has been the receiving by uh-huh. Pedro Severino and uh, Chan Sisko. I feel like, and and tell me if I'm if I'm being hard on him, but I feel like the the receiving has been a little rough this season. And it's just really disappointing. Um, you know, if if you can have a disappointment in a no hitter, that the you know perfect game was was lost on. You know, I've seen I've seen that pitch now fifty times. Yeah. That's that's a pass ball. That, that, that's a pass ball. There's no question about it. It's it's not a wild pitch. It's a pass ball. Um, and and yes, on on first basis, I would probably be disappointed with Severino again. It's it's. I think it's on him. But I think John Means put it really well of him saying this was a game as equally about me as it was Severino. So I I do have to give Severino some credit here. And yes, um, you know the the perfect game was lost, but at the same time. Severino needed to be behind that plate. And if, you know, a Chan Cisco or even Adley Rutschman were behind that plate today, I, I don't think John Means would have had that same performance. So, no, if Adley Rutschman had 
been back there, uh, John Means would have been throwing 150 miles an Absolutely. hour. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I understand what people are saying about Severino, and I agree um, that it's a little annoying, but at the same point, let, let's not overlook a really good thing. I'm also delighted that it happened in the third inning. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is if, if Means had lost a perfect game in, like, the eighth yes. on a pass ball, that would have been salty. And it's a lot more likely that a guy unravels at that point. Yep. Right. I mean, even even the the most you know well composed uh, pitcher at that point, just the sheer emotion. So the fact that it happened in the third inning, when I'm sure nobody was thinking about, yeah, you know, a, a potential a, no hitter, a perfect game. That that if it's going to happen, that's the time for right. it. Right. I agree with you. Just get it out at the very beginning, um, and just not have it be a concern of like what if, um, because. As much as we want to play what if here, it was was way too early in the game for us to be thinking about what ifs at that point. So I'm not going to, you know, harp on it. Um, Like I said, I'm just going to admire just a really, really well-pitched game. And like I said, probably one of the best baseball games we'll see pitched by a Baltimore Orioles pitcher um, in some time. Hopefully not 69 years, but, you know, or 59 years. 59 years, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean... one thing I just kept thinking about was what was different about this start? I mean, obviously, it's depending on the team that you're going against. And, you know, the Mariners certainly didn't look great up at bat. There was a lot of weak swings out there. Um, and, you know, listening to John Means talk, it was really interesting. You know, he said that he didn't really have a feel for his changeup during most of the games until later innings, um, which is surprising because obviously the changeup has been his money pitch the whole game. But his fastball was really impressive today, and not from a velocity standpoint, but from a location basis. Um, and he caused a lot of kind of weak swings and almost pop-ups, like weak pop-ups mm. um, in the infield. Um, there was one inning, and I think it was either the fourth or fifth inning, where he had two infield fly balls to the same position at like shortstop. And oh, by the way, Brent, Brent Hollander, you cannot say uh, the Mariners sky the ball um, when you hear the ball come off the bat. That sounds like it's going to be a home run. Uh, you just have to say it's a pop-up. So do not use the word sky if all possible, when it is an infield fly, okay? Just, it's an easy way to call some mixed emotions for me. So, again, getting back to the point, um, you know, I don't really think it was a changeup or a breaking ball. I agree with John Means that I think the fastball um, early on and the aggressiveness that John Means showed in terms of, you know, commanding the strike zone today um, really was the making and breaking of, um, you know, why he was so successful today. And the thing that I think is really interesting is just all of the strikeouts, yeah. right? And and we've seen that happen to the Orioles, yeah. But we don't see it that often happen for the Orioles, yeah. and that's you know it's it's wonderful to see uh, on a wishy washy strike zone for this entire series. Like I said, this wasn't just the only game that there was a wishy washy strike zone. Um, there were definitely some calls uh, for both teams on that kind of like outside edge that sometimes went to a strike, sometimes went to a, a ball. So. I wouldn't say it was a very consistent strike zone, um, and it wasn't ones that I would say means abused uh, regularly. I think he tried to, but I don't think it worked for him. Um, But yeah, just like I said, means knew exactly where all his pitches were going to end up, um, and he didn't really leave too many in a bad position. Um, And like I said, it just was a really well-commanded game. Um, And like I said, just just really impressive. Yeah, then the the next question uh, you know was was asked in the post game uh presser with with uh, Brandon Hyde Hyde was asked you know is John Means an ace 
And you know, somebody he, asked us this last week. Hmm. He was uh, he was he was quick to say, you know, I don't want to put that pressure of the mantle on him. Right. But then he said basically everything that you said about you know from September on, he has pitched mm-hmm. like an ace. Now that we know that this is inside of John Means, I think I think this is going to heighten my enjoyment and, and the anticipation of seeing a pitch every fifth day. I mean, the thing thing is like. Everyone should be looking forward to a John Means start. I mean, it is, uh, you know, I don't think it's quite like the Mucina level uh, at this point, but it is one of those situations where when I think about an ace, I'm thinking about myself, we're putting our best pitcher out there and we have a, we have a better chance of winning this game than we do any other game this week. Um, so John Means, and I said it last week, He's got the stuff of an ace right now, and he's had it for over a two-month period now. Um, whether or not he is and whether or not he can continue it, he looks like an ace. He's got the command of an ace, um, and he's gone through a brutal lineup, too. Like, I mean, this schedule that they've had in April has not been fun and kind. So I, I'm willing to, like I said, I don't care about you know a mantle or anything like that. He's pitching like one, just like Brandon Hyde says. I'm not going to put it on him, but he certainly looks like it. Um, so I'm willing to basically just say uh, on, on this podcast, yes, John Means is an ace right now. Well, we are incredibly lucky in so many ways. We're incredibly lucky that we we got to see this game today for, for those of us for whom it wasn't a yes. secret game. Uh, you know, we're lucky to ha- have some more John Means. But even more than that, I think that we're lucky that this was a game where Scott Garceau was on the call. Uh, absolutely. I will say... Scott Garceau did not ruin the game. <laughs> um, he was with Ben McDonald, too, which maybe helps a little bit. But I don't feel like Scott Garceau ruined the game. And I'm wondering if Ben McDonald may have said a few things to have been like, hey, you know, just be not doing this and not doing that. I don't know. But I, Scott Garceau seemed a little bit more, I don't want to say reserved, but careful in terms of his verbiage. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he wasn't terrible out there. Um, but yeah, not 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 terrible. I'll, I'll give him a passing grade today. Let me ask this question, not in the show notes, but just kind of something that I've been thinking about. Um, so obviously, huge game, huge big win. Um, what's next? Um, you know, some folks reached out to us on Twitter and said, what does this mean going forward for the Baltimore Orioles? Do you think this is a precipice point that the Orioles build off of this, or do you think it's a blip? Um, do you think this is a Robert Andino type lo- moment? I hope so. Mm-hmm. I was listening to uh, MLB Network on on the satellite radio. They do the the simulcast with uh, MLB Tonight. And uh, a couple of former Orioles were on the television slash radio there, Harold Reynolds and uh, Buck Showalter. And, Old noise whistle, yeah. And Buck Showalter twice referred to the month of May as moving month mm. because it's the time where teams make moves in the standings, yep. right? And he, he singled out, you know, New York. Boy, look where they started and yep. and look, look the direction they're heading. The Orioles are not going to move no. in the standings this month. Yep. I'm not confident that this is our Andino moment. I'm not. I'm even more not confident that this is our uh, 
you know, Jones home run on Cal statue night. Right. What I will say is that I think that this is going to be one of the stepping stones that we can look back to and say, this was the path to the next great Orioles team. Fair enough. And I, I, I agree to that. I mean, the Andino moment was a really interesting one because obviously it ended the season and then it carried over into 2012 and it was a really easy storytelling. This one, obviously the Orioles have a long season ahead of them. There are going to be some really bad baseball games that come out of it. I guess my thought process is, you know, we are into, you know, the first, almost second week of May and the Orioles are still, still playing right around 500 baseball. Um, and for a good portion of the season last year, even in a shortened season, they played right around 500 baseball. So if the Orioles finish around 500 baseball, that would be mind-boggling to me. Yeah, and, and I think we've talked about this here. We don't have a frame of reference for anything between awful and good. No. Right? 2012 surprised well, us. What are you talking about? What is this? There has to be either black or white. Like, what is this gray that you're throwing out there? 2012 surprised us. And so we don't we don't know what it, it feels like for the team to gradually get better. Nope. Nope. May, maybe this is what it feels like, Scott. Uh, maybe. Um, I'm just used to a light switch where you turn it on and it's, it's the glory days and then you turn it off and it's the dark ages again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe sometimes while your club still isn't very good, your homegrown ace throws a no-hitter and shows that Baltimore can produce high-quality players. What's in that beer over there? What are you drinking over there? I don't know. It's a C-plus at best. Okay, but... I'm going to give it C-plus plus. Gotcha. I thought it was... Uh, you were sipping the Jim Hunter punch over there for a second, <laughs> so... But yeah, like I said, um, Orioles fans, you don't know how often this is going to happen um, in terms of these kind of, you know, small victories, as you pointed out. And like you said, Jake, you know, it's been since 1969 since the Orioles had a no-hitter, uh, complete game, by an individual pitcher, um, soak it in, enjoy it. You know, hopefully Orioles are going to be good in in seasons to come. But if not, revel in this small victory and just enjoy the moment for the fellow players, including John Means, who had a moment for the rest of his lifetime. It's as simple as that. All right, well, that. Why don't we go ahead and round the bases and talk about the rest of Orioles baseball. Um, and let's get into a little bit about that that 500 stat that we threw out there, and just figure out what the heck are what's what the heck is going on with the Baltimore Orioles. So, Scott, you alluded to it in the last segment. Let's go ahead and start at first base. And I'm going to say everything is kind of fine right now. Yeah. Like, you know, we get, we, we are sometimes, um, <clears throat> we, we are sometimes criticized as being negative, right? I definitely get, I've been told many a times, I would listen to this podcast more if Scott was not so negative. <laughs> but the thing is, is that everything's kind of fine right now. It's May 5th. The Orioles have played 31 games. They're 19% of the way through their schedule. So for for you know all intents and purposes, we can just multiply by five, right? Yeah. But the birds are 15 and 16. They're a game under 500. They're three and a half games out of first. And I know that that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But 
even though I don't believe that this Tim's team is going to win, after about a month of baseball, everything is kind of fine. There's nothing really to hit the panic button about. And you can go around every part of the team and say that things are all pretty okay. And this is not, you know, generated optimism. Like we talked uh, either last week or a couple of weeks ago about the fact that sometimes we're going to have to make our own fun. Right? Yeah. We're going to have to to generate some... some uh, but I think that we should just stop for a second and appreciate the fact that things are not extremely awful. <laughs> and and they had every capability of being so. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, you know, I wouldn't say, I might even say it's okay. I would say it's very meh uh, is the best way to put it. But meh is a lot better than blah, which is what we're typically used to. Um, you know, I, I think there are concerns that we have raised in previous weeks, like, you know, the high K rates for the batting order. Um, that is starting to turn around where the Orioles are starting to work a little bit more from a pitch discipline standpoint. So that's good to see. You know, there's still concerns with the starting pitching. There's still concerns with the bullpen. Um, but ultimately, it comes back down to we started the season, and you, if you looked at the talent on the club, you said, man, this team is going to be really bad, and they're going to struggle to get 70 games. I mean, they were one of the you know bottom five teams in all Major League Baseball as related to projected F4, both in terms of offense and pitching. So anybody that thought that they were going to be anywhere close to being decent, you know, was fooling themselves. And you basically said, well, that's an instant fifth place in the American League East, and hopefully we get a good enough draft pick. And yes, as of right now, the Orioles are in the last place of the AL East. But you're absolutely right. If you look at uh, their win-loss record, and I hate to say it, folks, because we all hated it during the Buck Showalter era, but if you look at the run differential— it's not that bad. I think it was negative nine. And I guess after today, it might be like negative three. Um, but it's not that bad. It, it matches up exactly with what you would expect to be a 500 team. So yes, there are, there are still issues on this team. But all things being considered, there's also, like I said, we've talked about a lot of good stories. Um, and there's a lot of intriguing um, basis to see how long does it continue past just 20% of the season. And, you know, let's just, let's get crazy here. Let's say that this team... Let's get stupid. Let's say this team were able to win 75 or 80 games. Oh my right? gosh, yeah. That means that you can go out and just about any game, every other game, you have the opportunity to watch a win. Yeah. Right? And for a club that's rebuilding... As long as it's not at home. Right. <laughs> or a Sunday afternoon. Right? right. But for a club that's rebuilding, that's a pretty good position to be in as a fan because the real the real rough place is when the team is you know lose, winning you know 60 some games uh per season and you tune in and you're like well there's probably no chance of us winning tonight yeah i, I would agree with that I, I still think there is a a bit of that um basis of like is 500 good enough and i, I come back to that meth factor and I, it's definitely not you even come back to that 2012 season where the orioles were doing really well and you know folks were not turning in and attending games um, up until August and September, and even in August and September, the Orioles had to run that package, uh, specifically saying, hey, we're going to do tickets just like it was back in 1992 in order to draw fans into the stands. So, you know, I don't know is necessarily, you know, the way they're playing right now it, it encourages more interest um, towards the team. But, you know, I think for the, you know, the more avid fans, though, the individuals that are kind of listening to this podcast, ourselves included, I think you see enough where you can see 
um, you know, how to exit the forest is the best way to describe it. I feel like we're walking through it and you're just like, all right, I can now see how to get out of the forest and what, you know, the future is going to hold. And, and I think it also helps to, to remember to, to smell the roses, right? right. Like this, this is actually pretty fun right now. And, you know, it won't always be. There are going to be ups and downs of the season. And I was and, about to say, if you can't get fun right now out of how Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes are playing, <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. And I mean, even in today's game, um, Trey Mancini coming up and hitting a three-run homer. I mean, it's there are those kind of moments. But, I mean, Cedric Mullins is an absolute joy to watch. Austin Hayes has been absolutely in fuego this past week as well. You know, we're a, a fan base that loves those tandems, is the best way to describe it. I mean, think back to the Jones and Marquecas era. If Mullins could and Hayes could somehow turn into a Marquecas slash Jones duo, and I'm, again, that's that's really heavy praise. I don't know if they don't know if they can get there, but if they could even be some kind of inkling of that, oh my gosh, like that is way more upside than I would have given any two of those combined credit for. Yeah. So I, you know, again, as we, as we round around first here, I just want to say, remember, everything's kind of fine right now. Enjoy it. Live it up. It's okay to enjoy, you know, okay, pretty okay baseball. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not good. It's it's it, it's there. All right, let's go to second. Uh, in second base, I w- I'm calling this. Uh, you know, we we didn't quite get Christopher Lloyd, uh, but I'm going to call this talent in the outfield. Uh, there is some. There is some talent in the outfield. The Orioles outfield consists of Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, which we, who we talked about, DJ Stewart, Trey Mancini sometimes, uh, Ryan Mountcastle sometimes, and oh yeah, remember. Anthony Santander is on the IL, and at some point we'll rejoin that crew. There's some pretty good talent in our in our outfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big question really still has to be lingering of, like, how long can Cedric Mullins keep this up? Like, you're 20% into the season, and he is still raking out there. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we have to come back to the the basis of, you know, him switching his batting approach and just going to all left-handed. And, you know, he has been breaking against left-handed versus left-handed as well. Um, uh, I, it, it's just really interesting. Hayes is still kind of an enigma to me in terms of, you know, how reliable he is going to be. DJ Stewart is kind of what I expected him to be, which is nothing. Um, you know, I think he's going to be the next one gone, um, you know, when, when Santander comes back. Um, and then, you know, you're filling in in that outfield. I don't think so much more for Mancini anymore. I think this is the Ryan Mountcastle show uh, to go out there and do it. But still, I mean, if you could find two solid outfielders to, you know, you know, tier your, 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 your outfield going forward for the next, you know, six to seven years, and then fill it in with a, a use Neil Diaz or a Heston Kerstead in the future or whoever it may be. I mean, uh, Mullins and Hayes, like I said, could be that future, and they could be potentially the next Jones and Marquecas. And I said, that's hefty praise. And like I said, I Marquecas and, and Jones are obviously Orioles Hall of Famers. Um, but maybe they don't have to be quite that good. Um, but if even if they could be two more players, both of them, that's an immense benefit going forward for this club um, entering into future seasons. You realize, you realize, this would be... 2131 Utah Street. I, I I do realize it would be 2131 Utah Street, which is pretty funny. <sighs> Baseball, it's crazy sometimes. It's a it's a game of numbers and a game of stories. I better say 
that Orioles PR department, you know, three years ago when they set those numbers, really knew what they were thinking about. <laughs> Too bad they're no longer in the warehouse anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's fun to watch the the Orioles outfield, and uh, you know, again, they've they've come a long way. They've got some more talent. Uh, coming up in the wings and and one of the things while you were just talking about hey can you find that one or two other guys remember if this team is able to compete you know two years from now they might also buy interesting pieces buy the bats uh, buy uh, buy some bats yeah. buy, buy a, a couple of bats you are right i mean if we come back to that 2014 season let's think about nelson careers and how big of a deal it was to basically go out and get one big bat and how it transformed that entire lineup as it were um, it would have been nice to have him in 2015 and 2016, but again, a massive uh, difference made by just one additional batter into the lineup. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. It's now 2021. Yep. Nelson Cruz is still hitting the baseball way too hard, way too far. Yeah. Maybe we should have given Nelson Cruz a seven-year deal. Maybe. You know, Chris Davis would still be under contract in 2023. Maybe Chris Davis comes back Kirk Gibson style hits a home run in the World Series and wins the games uh, World Series game number one for the Baltimore Orioles while he limps around the bases. No. 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 What's going to happen is he's going to come in in relief Ooh. and pitch the last two games of a 17-inning uh, ball game. I, I like it. I like it a lot. He's going to get the save in, in game seven of the World Series. I like it. All right. So first base, the Orioles are kind of fine. Second base, the outfield is super fun. Uh, let's go ahead to third base. And Scotty, at third base, the war rages on. No, we said that we're uh, a fifth of the way through the season. And so I got kind of curious, what does our war situation look like? And the the war leaders, a lot of the, the same guys we've talked about, right? Mullins, um, is it a 1.5? uh 1.5 war so far for the season and and how many seasons did you did you going into the season how many seasons did you think it would take him to get 1.5 war (laughs) probably about three or four i mean give or take (laughs) austin hayes is it a is it a 0.7 war which again super impressive um given the fact that uh, i think he only has like 67 or 70 plate appearances after today um so he's he's missed out on you know 30 or 40 plate appearances compared to most players Here's the one that just baffles me. Freddie Galvis has a 0.8 war. Yeah, this is a weird one for me. And we were talking about this before the show started. And, you know, Freddie Galvis has a 128 weight to runs created plus, which, again, is really great. Um, but he's projecting right now as an above average shortstop on a defensive metrics basis. And I don't know if I see that. Like, I I don't think he's necessarily bad, but I don't know necessarily if he's good. Um, so I... I I'm almost thinking that you know some of those defensive numbers are coming from you know previous years, um, and they're kind of being held over. Um, but I mean, Freddie Galvis is doing what he was supposed to do, which was kind of hit, and so far it's been okay. But I mean, can we come back to Cedric Mullins really quickly? Well, hang on, I have, yeah, a, yeah. I have a question about Freddie Galvis. Yeah, and and this is ignorance talking. Yeah, here. but we're we're basically talking about the eye test right does yeah. does, does freddie galvis pass the eye test of a, of a 0.8 war at this point and and what you're saying is like i'm not seeing it i i, I yeah i don't see it yet i mean i i wonder if the change in the way infield is played at the major league level right now makes it harder for us to adjust to the eye test right because what a shortstop is called upon to do in major league baseball 
with all of the, all, you know, quote unquote new, but all of the defensive yep. positioning associated with playing the shortstop position, he's doing things that is unlike what our eye test is is rigged for. You are potentially right about that, where um, a lot of times, you know, we're looking at that that position from a shortstop standpoint and being like, can they get to the hole? Can mm-hmm. they make that long throw? Right. And we don't see that as often anymore. It's more about that defensive positioning standpoint. So I can understand where you're coming from on that of saying, okay, well, maybe it's not as critical anymore. Um, like I said, I, I haven't seen enough to say, no, that's absolutely wrong. But I also don't know if I've seen enough to say, yes, that's absolutely right. Um, like I said, the numbers line up with his career tra- projections, and I feel like we haven't seen anything that changes that that basis from a historical basis. So I don't feel like, you know, the folks that are doing the defensive, you know, metrics as it relates to doing the the eye test, which is exactly what they're doing to rate these these players, are basically dinging him for any significant values as well. I mean, again, you know, 19% of the way through the season, we don't look at Freddie Galvin and say, oh, he's a four-war player. No, I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, you may, but I, I, I certainly don't do that. I mean, I look at Freddie Galvis as, you know, a 1.2 to 1.6 war player in the, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, I, I would think an exceptional ceiling type season from him would be uh, two war. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And I mean, if we think about it and, you know, I, I don't want to go too far back into the offseason. But again, you're you're looking at a player that is certainly replacing Jonathan Villar very well mm-hmm. so far to date. Um, so and that's no knock on Jonathan VR, but you know, I think Freddie Galvis is doing exactly what the Orioles were expecting him to do. Um, and it's making Mike Elias and Sigmadel look really smart. All right, you wanted to go back and talk about Cedric Mullins. Yeah, I mean, we gotta talk Cedric Mullins a little bit more. I mean, you know, he's got 131 plate appearances. Um, he is currently seventh in the league in terms of F war. He's got 157 weighted runs created plus. Um, you know, we talked about that Babbitt, Jake, and it's it's definitely come down to 367. Um, but man, he has like lumped right between JD Martinez, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Justin Turner. I mean, he, he it's just amazing to see what company he is keeping. Um, and you know, it's not just the, the 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 batting, you know, it's also that basis of the defense, I think, has been really nice too. Um, you know, he's been playing a really nice kind of center field defense. Um, and you know, that is certainly helping him from an F4 basis too. So I, I just can't see Cedric Mullins continuing to do this for much longer. Um, but by gosh, it has really been fun, um, to watch him play. And I would also say too, like even from a power basis, I feel like he's got a little bit more pop and more of that line drive basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I said, a lot of fun uh, in terms of the war and a lot of fun as we talk about at second base from a talent basis in the outfield as well. I'm really hoping that this is his that this is his like absurd outlier career year and that in future years he settles down to something good, right? Instead of atmosphere, yeah. right? And all the good ones had that crazy year. Like, yep. you know, Ripken's 91, Roberts 05. Steve Paris's 2014. Yes, right? Whatever it is, like, my hope is that rather than just falling off the cliff at some point during the season, that Cedric Mullins has this amazing, you know, wonderful ride of a season. We get to experience it. But 
that for the rest of the hopefully good years, if he's going to be part of this club, that he's still a good productive player. Sure. Maybe not anything like what we were seeing now again. Right. Know, who can hope for that? But, you know, still pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how long it actually goes. You know, if he gets to July and he's still behaving in this way, is Cedric Mullins an all-star? Okay. So I'm really glad you asked that question <laughs> because I was going to put you on the spot later in the show. Yeah. Judging by, you know, 29 games or whatever it was. Yeah. 30, 31 games. Who are the Orioles' legitimate chances for All-Stars? So John Means, obviously after today, yes, legitimate All-Star. Like, there's Done. no question he's on it. Uh, he's going to start for both teams. <laughs> Terry Francona is going to get him up, but actually not bring him into the, into the game. Um, you have to think that Trey Mancini gets an All-Star game nod. Like, from the players, like I, I would think so. So, like that's two right there. So, like a part of me says, like there's no way Cedric Mullins can get an All Star Game nomination, especially with being an outfielder and with so many good outfielders in the American League. But a part of me is also like, if he's top fifteen <laughs> in WAR, like can he not be invited to the, <laughs> to the All Star Game? Is like, is that even possible? Like, yeah. So, I mean. The fact of the matter that we're talking about even more than one Orioles a player. And, and it's not like a Ty Wigginton. Right. And that's what I'm saying is the fact that we're talking about more than one Orioles player and potentially being an all-star game nod is kind of mind-boggling. Um, but this is what the 2021 season is so far. Pretty okay. Pretty okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so third base. So first base, pretty okay. Yeah, pretty okay. Second base, outfield's kind of fun. Yeah. Third base, the war rages on. Let's go into home plate. Uh, Scott, I can't believe we're talking about this in 2021, but Abaldo Jimenez. Oh, Jimenez. my goodness. Abaldo Jimenez. ruined the whole podcast. <laughs> Abaldo Jimenez, who was retired from ugly in bird's eye views, good, bad, and the ugly, in the news, actually in a great way. Abaldo Jimenez. Did you hear that Abaldo Jimenez was warming up, warming up in the ninth inning to come into the John Means game today? And that's why I pitched so well. I wanted to keep him completely away. Uh, Abaldo Jimenez recently earned a degree in business administration from Florida Tech University, earning magna cum laude. Oh, there you go. Uh, and, you know, watching Jimenez play in Baltimore, uh, it was easy to see that he was destined for great things in another field besides pitching. So, uh, you know, in all seriousness, Jimenez is a, a wonderfully likable dude who <laughs> was hard to watch pitch here in, in Baltimore. But now that he's gone, I got to say, I, I really only have fondness for the guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you heard him talk and you heard him talk about how he wanted to perform, you knew his heart was in it. Like, yeah. he wanted to perform. He just couldn't. And and he was the kind of frustrating that even though he wasn't performing, you as a fan, or at least me as a fan— you wanted him to do well. Right. Right? Like, yes, it was frustrating to see him struggle, but but you just, he was the kind of guy you wanted better for than, than what yeah. he was getting. We, we talked about that back in the day. We realized, like, I want a Baldo Jimenez to be good or at least have some success. I'm not rooting against the guy. Right. Like, I just, it's just hard to watch. Unlike a John Means start, which is not hard to watch. Um, but yeah, like I said, good job of Baldo Jimenez for going back in. You know, getting your degree in business administration. It's, an, it's a great accomplishment. Um, but it does it does make me wonder. You know, there there are some players in the current crop of Baltimore Orioles who I think are destined for greatness in other fields. 
Um, and also, you know, people who I think uh, after they're done being mildly successful at Major League Baseball can go off to great things. So it made us wonder, what, um, what degrees, what career fields could our uh, Baltimore Orioles be interested in? So, Scotty, let's just you know, pick a couple, go back and forth. I'm going to start with chalk, and I'm going to talk about Chris Davis. Um, Chris Davis has a lot of money, so he can afford tuition. Um, and when he hangs up his his uh, his cleats, and when he stopped picking up a paycheck uh, in 2030, he'll have plenty of time to go back and and uh, you know get a new degree. And I think that he should consider civil engineering. Hmm. I think that he needs to come up with a system to avoid potholes. And I think that he can give back to communities, particularly baseball communities, by ensuring that the right parking lots have the right finishing. There you go. So, I mean, obviously, you know, we can talk about Orioles players, but I also think we need to talk about, you know, individuals that have maybe have moved on and are looking into the next portion of their career. So I was thinking to myself, what is Gary Thorne doing right now? What kind of degree is he looking for out there? So, you know, I've, I've heard rumors that Gary is going back to school and he's going to become a professor of philosophy, waxing and waning on uh, the aspects of how to live life and uh, potentially a little bit on women's studies as well. So I'm really, I'm really disappointed in you, Scott. <laughs> I'm, I'm so disappointed in you because, and, and it doesn't happen often, but I think you missed the mark. Okay. And, and I'm going to tell you why. Because when I heard Gary Thorne, my first thought was culinary studies for turtle soup. <laughs> for turtle soup, <laughs> and, and I feel like I feel like it's a gross oversight. That is that's his minor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Not every player just focuses on the major. You mentioned the minor. I'm I'm going to go back and, and think about this current team, and clearly the easy one, right? The the just low hanging fruit is Anthony Santander. Yeah. May he play forever, right? I hope that he has a, a long storied Orioles career, but eventually he will go back to school. And I think that Anthony Santander will most likely uh, be awarded uh, magna cum laude uh, with a degree in international studies with a minor, of course, in British history. Because he needs to understand the peoples with, which, with whom he is connected on yeah. such a deep visceral level. Yeah, the, the next one I've got here is, again, former Oriole, um, looking for his next part of his career. Uh, and it's, it's Wilson Bedemeet. Wilson Bedemeet has been reported to have actually gone back to school to get a, uh, what is this, a, uh, a primary school education degree. So I guess that's a K through sixth grade uh, degree. Uh, and apparently he is teaching multiple classes in elementary school now. Apparently he is teaching English, he's teaching math, he's teaching science, he's teaching social studies, he's teaching history. <laughs> 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 okay, I was, I was not prepared for this on a number of levels. First, we've been doing bird's eye view for so long that, that we can reach back to Wilson Bedemy jokes. That I mean, does everybody get that? I, I think most people get it, but <laughs> Jake English got it, so that's all that matters. <laughs> all right, that's a good callback for Wilson Bedemy. I was not, I was not prepared <laughs> for Wilson Bedemy. All right. Uh, again, back to the current crop of Baltimore Orioles. Um, one that we need to take seriously because, you know, <clears throat> with climate change, um, with with economies changing the way they are, the <clears throat> food production of, of tomorrow will need to be different and it'll need to be led by science. 
And so I think that... <laughs> At least in this administration. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll need to be led by science. And so therefore, um, <clears throat> though he may be a, in a, a bit advanced age in baseball, Cesar Valdez has a, a long time before he's over the hill. And so he has plenty of time to go back, go to school, get a degree in aquaculture and wildlife services. And so he can turn some of those dead fish into fisheries to feed this world. Jake, I'm glad that you brought up this individual earlier in the podcast, but, uh, you know, Buck Showalter, um, after, you know, working with the Yes Network and now working with MLB Network, also went back to school and actually finished out a medical degree that he started back in the 60s and 70s. So Buck Showalter now is a board-certified rhinologist um, specializing in the aspect of nasal passages as a rhinologist. Really, I'm really disappointed that wasn't a musical degree. <laughs> no, absolutely not a musical degree. <laughs> All right. Uh, my, my last one is actually, I'm going to split this between two individuals because I, I think that they can, they can go for the same, um, same course of studies. And I, I'm going to single out Max Roller and Tyler Wells. And these two, I believe, uh, after their long, again, illustrious Orioles career, go back to school, get additional degrees, um, and I think that they should really focus on drama and theater arts. And and let's not just stop there. I mean, let's let's go out for the you know MFA. Let's let's make sure that we are, um, you know, incredibly established professionals in the in the drama arts world. And I think that they'll be well suited for it because uh, for the next year they need to act like major league pitchers and be able to pass themselves off as major league pitchers. And so I think that that acting um, background will really prepare them for that MFA. So we were talking about players and, you know, players on the team, but, you know, not everyone has success in college. You know, some people have to, in essence, go to a trade school or just, you know, go get a profession in general. And, you know, one of those individuals that, you know, has been struggling as later lately is Hunter Harvey, who, again, is dealing through injuries, dealing through some arm issues. Um, and, you know, obviously he's got his signing bonus and he can, you know, live comfortably off of that. But, Hunter Harvey needs to start looking for that next, you know, point in his career. So, you know, during this time of rehabilitation, Hunter Harvey has actually decided to go back to beautician school, um, become a barber. Um, but, you know, he got really bored by doing that. You know, apparently he didn't really like to cut hair. He just liked to grow out hair. Um, so instead, he's actually dropped out of beauty school. And he's actually working as a carny this summer as he rehabs his arm. <laughs> All right. I'm going to help myself here. <laughs> Are you saying that he's a beauty school dropout? I am saying he's a beauty school dropout. <laughs> uh, dear listener, let us know what we missed. What field of study is appropriate for Baltimore Orioles, past or present? What uh, profession, what uh, trade could be plied by these players? An that apprenticeship, we, even. <laughs> that, we, that we love so much. You know, Scott did not even manage to break my heart uh, by picking on uh, some of my beloved Orioles like Brian Roberts or <laughs> who the hell is Steve Pierce. So feel free, in all seriousness, to, to break my heart. Uh, let us know. Tweet at us at BirdseyeViewBAL. We've now gone around the bases. We have immersed ourselves in a no-hitter. So let's do the only thing that we can do at this point. Let's fantasize about what Orioles baseball can be. And go to Fantasy Boss. 
kissing I just gotta keep insisting Oh baby You sure do swing It's the good music again. You know what that means. You won somehow? Yeah, okay, but here's the thing. We need to talk about the scoring sure. system. Important note here. This is important. Anybody that cares about fantasy balls, please take note. I cannot believe that there are people, but there are people. So uh, we have a, a very stringent scoring system here. Absolutely. We go from... The, the rules don't matter and the points don't matter, but very stringent. We, we go from you know a, a direct seven days... And so uh, we wrote these show notes uh, originally for a show that was going to be taped on Monday. And at that point, my pick, Cedric Mullins, outhit your pick, Austin Hayes, by a, a, a score of six, uh, seven to six. Both great numbers. Both, both, yeah, both. fantastic. I mean, yeah. we're, we're doing great at Fantasy Boss so far. However, today's Wednesday. Yep. And if we extend that out, nope. we get to a situation where both players are tied nope. for hits. Um, and so I, I, I want to make sure we do this right. It's Monday to Monday. It's always Monday to Monday. It's a seven day stretch. Um, you know, even when we've had like all-star breaks in there, we've taken like a three game series and just picked something out of the blue. So no, Jake, you won this week, fair and square, really good picks by both of us. Really happy that we didn't end up at like a one and zero for hits. Uh, so perfectly acceptable with this score at this given time. Okay. All right. Well, that's. That's all good and fine. Um, Scott, I'm going to do something very different. Okay. I'm going to do something very dumb. Okay. I would like you to tell me which Orioles minor league affiliate Mm -hmm. is going to have more wins Monday to Monday so that by the time we come back next week on Monday, you have your team has out one whatever team i pick i mean i've got to go with the Bowie bay Sox, right i mean you you certainly can i mean i think i'll go with the Bowie bay Sox. I'll, I'll go with uh you know the stars of the show as it were uh with like a dl hall and an adley rutchman and see how it goes hey you can do that i'm glad that you did that because yep. that clears the way for me to take the hometown aberdeen Ironbirds. are you sure you don't want to take the frederick keys hmm hmm Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So in in what is possibly our dumbest fantasy boss category to date, yep. and and that is saying something, wins by minor league affiliates. Do we need to do a prop out of how many t-shirt cannons will be employed at each game? Oh. <laughs> no, but if if we get if we get hurting for uh, for uh, bonus points later in the season, uh, we'll, we'll we'll go there. So the question, of course, with fantasy boss is always who will own it. And with that, let's find out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly this past week. All right, I'm going to go ahead and get started with the good and bad and the ugly, and that's mostly because the rants of Scott Magnus greatly exceed the quality of my own. Uh, my good this week, we talked about him a little bit, Freddie Galvis. 
a 169 weighted runs created plus. Now, I always find this interesting when the the player does well to look at the BABIP, right? Mm -hmm. Is he playing out of his mind? Is the luck dragon helping him? And the league average for BABIP is about, what, 290, 293, something yeah. like that. Um, his BABIP uh, over the past 15 plate appearances over the, the course of this week, 273. Mm -hmm. So he's right where he should be from a luck standpoint. A 169 weighted runs created plus with only a 6.7K percentage. Yeah, sure, he had a home run. That's that's nice. But he had a really productive set of at-bats this week. Freddie Galvis was good. I, I, I completely agree with you. He was uh, he was very good. Um, you know, my good for the week, you know, I think we all know what our good for next week is going to be. My good for this week, um, you know, we talked about it earlier in the show. I think it's the tandem right now. I think it's Mullins and Hayes. I'm not going to separate them. I think they are both doing equally well at this given moment. I mean, just looking at the past 14 days, um, Secretary Mullins has a 166 weighted runs created plus. Austin Hayes, 128. Austin Hayes has a slightly better defensive performance right now. But they're both just doing such a great job um, at that top of that order. Um, yeah, Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes get dual credit here. Um, and, and they're going to be my good for the week. All right, point of order. Yeah, point of order. If you're going to select two players for your good, yep. I want an honorable mention. That's fine. All right, I'm going to go back. Honorable mention, because I think credit where credit is due. I have crapped on this guy hard this season, in the good and the bad and the ugly. And I would just like to point out that in 16 plate appearances this week, Rio Ruiz has done everything that he's been asked to do offensively. Had a 128 rated runs created plus. I say, good on you, Rio Ruiz. I thought you were going to pick somebody else, but... Okay, we'll go with that. Who, who'd you think I was going for? I thought you might pick out Paul Fry. Paul Fry's been pretty decent as of lately. Um, you know, pitching over the past two weeks in five games, four and two thirds inning, with a seventeen point three six Ks per nine and a three point eight six walks per nine. I mean, as much as you've hated Paul Fry in the past, Paul Fry's been okay. He's no Sean, Ar Sean Armstrong for you, but <laughs> the the interesting thing to me about Fry is that he's a guy whose career look to be loogie. Yes. Right? And so Major League Baseball changing its rules really, I would argue, endangered his career. Mm -hmm. And so to see him turn into what he's doing now, and, you know, I hope that manages to continue, good on him. Yep. Agree. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are, are we, the negative Nancys, doing the good, the good, the good, the bad and the ugly? Yes. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and wander into the bad territory. My bad for this week is Michael Franco. Uh, a negative 37 with runs created plus in 26 plate appearances. He nearly had the club lead in plate appearances. And it just wasn't wasn't good. A 23.1 K percentage, a 109 WOBA. Oof, he just had a rough week. Franco was bad. Yeah, I mean, my bad's going to go to the whole second base trio of, you know, um, Jose Urias and Rio Ruiz and Pat Vileka. Um, There just doesn't seem to be any steadiness out there at second base right now. Um, and, you know, we were talking about it off the show, but Jemai Jones mm. has been absolutely in fuego, um, you know, in, in the minor leagues right now. I, I just feel like Jemai Jones is knocking at this point. And I think it's only a matter of time before Jemai Jones comes up onto this roster. This is such a dumb fan thing, and I acknowledge, like, this is a dumb fan thing, but I just really want to see him. I just really want to see him. I mean, the, 
I guess my question is, I mean, like, I, I think it's important for Jemai Jones to start the season in the minor leagues for the time being. But if if we don't see him by, I'm going to go with mid-June, hmm. something's wrong is the best way to put it. The thing is, if he comes up and he's not good, it won't break my no, heart. No, no, it's not going to break my heart at all. But there's enough of an intrigue there in terms of how he plays second base and just some of the offensive performance. Like I said, I'm not expecting major things from him. I'm just expecting better than what I'm currently seeing at second base. Um, but that whole second base is kind of a black hole right now, and it just bothers me. All right, fair enough. Uh, my ugly for this week is getaway scheduling. I get why it exists. I understand. It's there for players' uh, convenience and safety. It's there to make scheduling easier. But man, it sucks for fans. Mm-hmm. Getaway games are awful. And today... Today, it burned us hard. Especially you. Yeah. There was a no-no today. And I can't be the only Orioles fan who missed it. More importantly, the Orioles had a no-hitter today. Mm -hmm. And what kind of attention is it going to get? Yeah, it's going to be mentioned on the, you know, on the baseball shows or on SportsCenter or whatnot. (laughs) That's funny that you think it's going to be mentioned on SportsCenter. But if it had happened... During prime time, right? If it had happened at a time where baseball games are supposed to take place, it would have been able to be in center stage. I get why getaway scheduling exists. I I know that it's a necessary evil, but man, it sucks. This week, it's my ugly. And you get to look forward to no baseball tomorrow. (sighs) Even better. Rainy days and off days always get me down. My ugly goes to DJ Stewart. DJ Stewart has been absolutely abysmal uh, for most of the season, especially over the past two weeks with a 29 weighted weighted runs created plus. You know, over the entire season, he's at 76 weighted runs created plus. I I, I just don't see a purpose for DJ Stewart anymore. Yeah, I know that he had a a good small season last year in 112 plate appearances, but... I just don't see DJ Stewart at all. Um, I've never been on, big on DJ Stewart. I know people can come back to that. Um, I, you know, DJ Stewart's quickly playing himself off the team um, once Anthony Santander comes back. And I don't know if DJ Stewart has any more chances after this time. And and, and like I said, it's an ugly situation. Um, and like I said, we may be finally starting to see the end of DJ Stewart's career. All right. Well, with that uplifting note for the podcast, um, why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save? Scott, we're seeing a lot of TBD in the pitching rotation. Mm -hmm. I get that. You know, the, sometimes, especially with so many of these off days, yep. we don't necessarily need a fifth starter. But I got to be honest, I'm looking forward to the part of the season where we don't have to deal with TBD, whether it be Zimmerman or Aiken or whoever. I kind of like to see whoever it's going to be up here to sink or swim and to just know what I'm going to get every fifth day. This is something that happens on clubs that are not so good, and this is something that happens because of the scheduling quirks, particularly in the early part of the season. So I get it. But just, I'm ready to be done with TBD. I'm ready to to have my five-man rotation and just 
know what I'm going to get every fifth day. You're going to be really annoyed when they trade Matt Harvey and they have a TBD in there, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you know, I was heartbroken when we lost Way LeBlanc. And by heartbroken, I mean not. But, uh, Once again, another game you did not turn into. (laughs) (laughs) But but I, I, you know... Yeah, we we we're constantly seeing you know the Norfolk shuttle, uh, and and I'm just at this point, I'd like to look at the rotation and just know what I'm going to get. You want it to line up, and so you can know like, hey, this Thursday game is going to be a really bad game. I'm going to skip that game because I don't want to watch it because of Baldo Jimenez is pitching. But the next game after that, I may want to watch because it'll actually be a decent pitcher. And right now, it's kind of like Yahtzee, where you're shaking it up in a cup and you're throwing it out there, and you're just being like. I got a bunch of twos and threes, and it doesn't really add up to being a full house. So you mean future scholar Abaldo Jimenez? Absolutely, a- absolutely future scholar, future businessman Abaldo Jimenez, <laughs> and that and that's exactly what we thought of him at the time. Absolutely, and that that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Birds Eye View Baltimore. Com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other folks to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.